Hey, good people. This is Sharika, EB, and Sabrina. You're listening to The Kickback. Glad you decided to pull up. Every time. <laughs> right, we, we go, we go, we go. All right, here we go. Another week of the kickback. You're here with your boy EB, Sharika, and Sabrina. Temp check for the week. How you living? Oh, I feel so good. And I know it's not fall yet, but when September hits, I just claim fall, right? Because it reminds me of just the crisp air and all the good things to come, the holiday season, reflecting on the good times we had in the summer. So my 60 degrees is a positive thing. I'm feeling very chill today. Sharika, how you living? Well, 60 is good, but I'm just on 100 today for several reasons, but I'll just say this. The Lord is good. He spared my life to see another year of life. Just celebrated my birthday. That was a blessing, especially in these times. And I got to celebrate my birthday with my loved ones. I don't think I've celebrated my birthday with my family in probably 10 years. So that was really special. So I'm on 100 and I'm grateful to the Lord. I would say I'm around a 90. Things are good. I'm feeling good. I would say been at peace this week has been a smooth week. Didn't really do much. Had a nice four-day weekend coming off of Labor Day. So it's just been a good week. So our invite goes out to a young man by the name of LeBron James. Now, I know most of you may know this name. Even if you're like me, who's not that much into sports, I'm sure you've heard of LeBron James. Maybe something good, maybe something bad, maybe something different. You just may not know too much about him. So I'm going to share a little bit about him with you today. He is widely considered one of the greatest basketball players in the NBA's history. Now, there is constantly a debate going on with, is he the greatest of all time? Is he better than Michael Jordan? You know, all that good stuff. But along with his team played in eight consecutive NBA finals. He's won three NBA championships, awarded four times NBA's most valuable player and three finals valuable player. EB, have I gotten any of his stats wrong so far? No, you sound solid. Okay, okay. Just want to make sure EB is our resident sports enthusiast. So I just want to make sure that I ain't embarrassing us out here in these streets. He's also won two Olympic gold medals. So obviously LeBron James is very talented, but that is not why he gets our invite today. There is so much more to LeBron James than basketball. LeBron James is also an activist, supporter of many nonprofit organizations, including After School All-Stars, Boys and Girls Clubs of America, and Children's Defense Fund. He also owns his own charity foundation, the LeBron James Family Foundation, partnership with the University of Akron to provide scholarships for as many as 2,300 children beginning in 2020. 21. In November of 2017, the Akron School Board approved the I Promise School, a public elementary created in partnership with the LeBron James Family Foundation to help struggling elementary school children stay in school. So not only is he really good on the basketball court, he's really good in these streets. He really cares about his community, education, children, and he has also been on the forefront taking a stand against a lot of these social injustices that have been plaguing our country. 
to this, I commend and salute this young man. I appreciate all that he has done. And when I think about LeBron James and his commitment and contribution, I can't understand why there's so many people who have such hostility against him. Well, actually, you know what? I can't understand because, you know, there's some people that just don't care about the things that really seem to matter sometimes. Like, I remember Fox News host Laura Ingram telling him to just shut up and dribble as though that's the only thing he has to contribute. I think about, wow, what if this man just shut up and dribble? Think about all the children that wouldn't have been able to get help with school. What about all the children who wouldn't be able to go to college? What if this man just shut up and dribble? I mean, I'm sure it'd be less of a headache on him, but what a disappointment and what a great loss to our community and this culture. So I'm grateful that he never listened to that foolish woman's words and he was able to continue <laughs> to fight for justice. Yes, that foolish woman's words. That, and that was something, that's the nicest thing to say, but yes, he has a gift in basketball, but he has a heart for people, which is so much more important. So that's why LeBron James gets our invite. So that foolish woman, if we did a rundown of what she has done to contribute to society, I mean, what's the name of her mm. school? Okay. And how many people has she, I mean, I, I'm genuinely asking, I've never heard of her. She's just a news pundit. Okay, so she was just saying that she's not like a rival. Is she an athlete? Can she even dribble? Nope. No. Oh, God. <laughs> not that I know not Let me take it back. Not that I know of. Not that I know of. I'm not going to so say she's that. she's not an athlete. Awesome. She's not, like, doing all the good in her community. She's just talking. Just talking. Yeah, you know, some people just, when, you know, when people speak up against things that, you know, other people don't care for, they feel like, you know what? Just stick to what you do which is dribbling the basketball and keep your mouth out of politics and other things that are going on, which is ridiculous because everybody is more than just one thing. Absolutely. People have more than one interest. My God has given people more than one skill and one talent and calls us to cultivate and activate those skills and talents for his glory. And I, and so Yes, he's great on the basketball court, which is fun and entertaining and making a lot of other people a lot of money. But his activism is more important. And for people to have something negative to say, and like you pointed out, ain't contributing themselves. (laughs) (laughs) When I think of LeBron James, I think of the school because I've heard of that. And I think of that meme. I just love his swagger when he's like, I guess he was at a press conference and they said something that annoyed him and so he stood up and he walked away and he had like that little briefcase. That little man bag. <laughs> Why gotta be a man bag? He had He's his a little... man, it was a bag. <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. But when I see that, I'm like, that is the type of energy I want to take forward in life and work and meetings. When they're just not on it, I want to be on my LeBron James. I wish I could just walk out, but the bills need to get paid. So okay. in my head, I'd be doing the LeBron James, but in my body, I just sit there. Oh my gosh. And when you say that, I just remember them shorts. Not that I would. What <laughs> shorts? Don't make the, me Google his shorts. Listen, the suit shorts. Is that a thing? Yeah. Well, I'm going to get bail on that, but he probably won't do it. Girl, would you wear okay. suit okay. shorts? Anything for anything? Absolutely not. Why? <laughs> it sounds amazing. It what sounds... if you want to dress up on a hot day? What's the commercial with the lady from, or her husband talking to the dude from State Farm? Oh, Jake that, from State Farm? Yeah, you sound hideous. <laughs> <laughs> I would wear a suit short. Listen, definitely you have to have the confidence to pull it off. 
There you go. You can't come in there half-stepping with the shorts. If you come with the suit shorts, you best be bringing all the full energy. And if you know you can't pull it off, don't try it. I think you should definitely look it up and tell me what you think about these suits with these shorts. Listen, he can wear shoot shorts, shoot speedos. I don't care because he's on it when it comes to the community. That is fine by me. I could care less about his fashion choices. Hmm. Oh, man. Listen, he out here making all kinds of statements. with the How come Beyonce person? can wear suit shorts, but he can't? Who said he couldn't? He, he was he wearing them. He didn't say he couldn't. He, he already wore them. I just said I wouldn't wear them. But E.B. is on GQ. I'm looking at it right now, Google. They look it's on great. GQ. It's on Vogue. It's on Express. It's in Macy's. It's so you're not, you're not with what's popular. This reminds me of the ripped pants conversation with you two. Yeah. Y'all got to get on it. Well, I'm going to follow the popular crowd. I don't want to follow the bride crowd. The bride yeah. crowd ain't going to make it into the gates. <laughs> saying i'm off the suit shorts i'm just saying it's an interesting look as long as my you have the confidence to pull, yes my husband says a lot of things are just pulled off with confidence so we just talked about how lebron james has not just a sports world but our world and our fashion our country <laughs> <laughs> yes the fashion but also taking a stance against things that he feels is wrong and standing up for injustices so what i wanted to talk about is sports and how sports impacts our culture. So what are you guys thinking about these athletes and this protesting and not playing games and uh, all that kind of stuff? What do you think about that? For sure, sports is like an integral part of our society, especially in the U.S. And it's used as like a vehicle for transmitting certain values, right? So you think about P.E. as a kid. That's mm-hmm. where a lot of times the conversation about justice and fair play and teamwork mm-hmm. come in, right? But sports throughout our history in the U.S. has has contributed to like racial and social integration. It's been mm-hmm. like a glue to bond the country together. So it is humorous to me in a dark way that people feel so strongly about athletes taking a stand, which is like, of course, they're going to take a stand. Athletes have one of the biggest platforms in the country, even for people like Sharika and I, and we might make jokes like we don't know much about sports. I bet you, Sharika, You've watched almost every Super Bowl. I sure have. I have only been there for the halftime show, but (laughs) I be there and I catch some of the games and some of the plays when I get filled in is interesting. Exactly. And I've probably been to maybe less than five professional basketball games or seen them on TV. Definitely wasn't like something I sat around and watched as a kid, but I know Michael Jordan is a household name, even for people who don't like basketball. So for me, it would be strange for them not to take a stand about things that they're passionate about because that's what businesses do. Like, think about it. Major companies pay millions of dollars for a 30-second Super Bowl ad, why? Why when we're watching things like, you know, the NBA or baseball or whatever, you're seeing ads for like Pepsi and stuff. Those athletes aren't drinking that, right? So that is a huge contradiction, but even businesses know where it's at, where people are looking and what is going to generate the buzz. So if we can do it for major companies, for them to profit, why can't we do it for social justice issues? Yeah, so for me, one of the things that's always interesting especially about when people are dissatisfied with the actions of certain athletes. I just shake my head because it's just like this person has, or this individual has a platform and they're using that platform to the best of their ability to bring light to a situation, to bring an awareness to a situation, to stand up for something that they know could basically place them in that same position. What has been very, very interesting for me, at least, to notice within these past few months, then even past few years, if we go back to when a lot of this got 
gets a little more noise within the sports realm with Colin Kaepernick kneeling and stuff such as that is where you have, whether it be news pundits or people on social media who are telling people how to protest. Mm -hmm. It's like your battle isn't their battle. And typically the people who are telling them how to protest, at least from what I've been able to experience and see, are people who don't face the same challenges as those people protesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that's always been like mind boggling to me. It's just like, I don't tell you what outfit to wear when you're going into work, because if it was up to me, it would be t-shirt and basketball shorts and slides. And I'm saying that because I'm in an office where people aren't coming to meet with me directly in my office. Everybody who I typically see at my office is people who I work with daily. So it's like, why am I wearing a uniform, so to speak? Like, wear, make, make sure you have long pants on, make sure you have a collar shirt, so like, or business professional or business casual for people who you already know what I do for a living. Like, I'm not meeting with a donor or I'm not meeting with a client or a customer. I'm with my people every day in the office. So it's like, I don't tell people how, to, how they run their stuff. So I, it's just always been like, if you shake your head, it's like, don't tell nobody how to protest, especially when the person is peacefully protesting, which I never understood that as well. Peaceful being the key in a country where we talk so much about free speech and making sure like people still have that option and that choice. And then you turn around and tell people how to peacefully protest. And you know what I was thinking too, as well, people get upset with them and call them, well, you're supposed to be a role model when they make their bad choices whether it's you know drugs women whatever it is men whatever they do that you know people don't care for they want to criticize them and say well you know you are a role model and people are looking up to you and you need to act this way or you shouldn't be acting that way but yet when they want to stand up for something that they believe in and be a role model in that light then all of a sudden it's like oh why are you talking about this you need to be doing your little sports thing and being quiet all of a sudden they're not role models anymore but when y'all want to question their lifestyle choices or or what they do, then they're role models. That to me is also contradictory. You know, let's just call it for what it is. They can be role models and protest other things as long as it's not about black and brown lives. Okay. You know, that's when it has become an issue. And I challenge a listener who would say I'm wrong on that. Prove me wrong. Show me in history where it's been wrong, where an athlete has chosen to take a stand on any other issue and it has been problematic. Because in the history of sports in our country, really not even in our country, internationally, it becomes problematic when you're talking about the injustices that occur to black and brown people. Have y'all seen something different? I definitely have it. And as I have watched through the lens of being a avid sports fan, but also, or more importantly, being a fan of people, I haven't necessarily seen that. And I think it's because it makes people uncomfortable. Like I also tell people, like I haven't necessarily met a person who would openly say, at least I have it, I'm not saying they don't exist, but I have not met a person that has openly said, I'm a racist, Mm. right? They may have racist tendencies or may have a disgust for people or may be very, very prejudiced in their words or their actions, but I haven't met someone like face-to-face or via social media to say, I'm a racist and so what, like I'm proud of it type of thing. So it's just funny, I'm thinking that they're just exhibiting their views and not realizing that their views are problematic. Their views are likely to prejudice. Their views are likely come from racist rhetoric. Their views come from one view source, whether you lean whatever way on the political spectrum. It's always yeah. just interesting to see the habits of people. And that's why, like you said, Sabrina, like challenge me on these things if I'm wrong. And this would be mm-hmm. something I would love to engage you in a Zoom conversation if you want to stay safe. I would love to engage you in person, a phone call. Like I enjoy these type of 
I guess things that causes me to learn. Like I, I'm mm-hmm. a learner. I'm a, I'm a learner of life, and I want to learn from people, especially those who have different experiences than I do. I'm very confused. Also, how sports became a property of America, and if you play a sport and question anything that is going on in the country, you are now anti-America. Colin Kaepernick kneeled, even when these sports players now decide that they want to not play games and different things like that. A lot of people see this as a slight against America. And I don't really understand that. I think it's hard to understand if you underestimate the power that sports have in American society and the many different ways that the powers that be that if you know if we want to say it that way have used sports as a way to put into our society's minds like different ideologies you think about gender Mm. roles and so many like little small things that we might not think about on the forefront are reinforced through sports Mm -hmm. so for a lot of people it is they do coincide I'm not saying it's (laughs) It makes a lot of sense, but it just coincides, right? I think about what we talked about a couple of podcasts ago when we said, why are Christians putting the American flag on the same level as like the Bible? The response might Mm -hmm. be, oh, because we're in one of the only Judeo-Christian societies in the whole world. So they are on the same level, which obviously I don't agree that they are. I agree with EB. We're not going to be singing Mm -hmm. the national anthem in heaven. But for a lot of people, those things do run simultaneously. And that's why you got that strong response to today. Mm -hmm. It was Colin Kaepernick, right? To that response of him kneeling. And the cameras chose to show that, you know, but and people, what was interesting to me when it goes to that whole conversation is that when I saw people arguing about it on social media, maybe even in mainstream media, you guys can speak to that. It was rarely about what the reason why he was. It was usually Mm -hmm. about this SOB, as the president of the United States called him and the other kneelers, needing to know his place. The conversation was just, what do you say, E.B., all the time? You're like, don't divert the conversation. It was always just diverted to all these other things. Yeah. which I found to be frustrating. And that just naturally happens because people like people love to stay off of the railroad tracks, right? Like the ideal is to stay on the railroad tracks with certain situations, certain causes. And even if you disagree, right? And I, I know people who say there is no such thing as police brutality. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. that's what you believe. And I'm like, okay, so help me with this one situation. Even if we don't, because I, I, I would never want people to paint all cops as one way, but yeah. there is an issue when other cops aren't speaking out against those quote unquote bad apples. And I don't really want to use that term. And I say that because at least for us, and I, I can speak for us three, right? We're, we're all believers or people who profess to be Christians. Like it's nothing for me to call out another person who says that they are a Christian because like we're part of this mm-hmm. one body or this one entity. Like I'm not going to make an excuse for why this one person did X, Y, or Z. Like I can't because it's just like, no, because when you mess up, you mess us up as a whole, mm-hmm. um, as the body. And I would hope that that's what individuals within law enforcement would do for, to their counterparts. Like that was really, really bad. But like, no, he won't get fired. But yes, like there, he will be reprimanded. Like there shouldn't be a sense of, as you say, qualified immunity for law enforcement officers. There's no reason, and I mentioned this before, there's no reason why there shouldn't be a national database on individuals who have, I guess you could say, misconduct while on the job. Like that should be something that should be a given or something that should be natural. So people can know certain interactions ahead of time where if I see, I'll just use my own name for the say, if I see Officer EB come up to the window and I know he's one of the cops here in town and he has 
I guess, a bad history of doing some form of misconduct. After a while, like he should be relieved from his job or I know that I can't play around with Officer E.B. Like I know I have to try to be on my P's and Q's. And we've seen that where people have abide by the law and still have lost their life. We've seen where people have abide by the law and still become injured. We see where people have abide by the law and things just go basically haywire. And for those of you who say, no, that's not the case, there's countless settlements that governments and local cities have had to pay out to families time and time again. And those dollars come from taxpayers. So if you're in one of those cities, like your money is going to basically the misconduct or the mishap of one of your law enforcement officers, one of those public servants, which just always never makes sense to me. Hmm. Do you guys think our society will get to a place where we stop putting athletes on that pedestal? I don't think so. Well, I mean, I think like, because it's not just athletes, it's anybody who are in this entertainment world. Like, these are the people we are watching. You know, people watch basketball games for several hours or whatever sports they watch. And, you know, they get invested. So once you get invested in people, there is this level of, by nature, putting them on a pedestal you know to what degree i think that's up to you i mean just like i think everyone for the role is like teachers have a standard that people look to them to uphold or i think with teachers that standard is legitimate i think it's great for instance everything that lebron james is doing but i sabrina never expected that of, of him maybe it helps that i didn't grow up in a family that was like a huge sports family or I just didn't grow up in a family that really put anybody outside of Jesus Christ on a pedestal. <laughs> I wonder if at some point, like the same people who are criticizing these athletes are the same people who put them, because we tell our children who to look up to, right? Mm-hmm. We create these quote unquote idols. So yeah. then we look back on, even when they do something bad, I think about yeah. the football player who was in trouble because he was involved with like animal cruelty or the mm-hmm. countless athletes who are in trouble over domestic violence or the ones who abuse drugs. And then it becomes this huge story because it's like, yeah. oh, they, but what, what about being good at a sport says I am also a person who is more, has great morals? I would say it, it was never necessarily a morality correlation between the two of an athlete and I guess good morals, right? Um, If I'm hearing you correctly, I think the challenge, or at least for people, even for me as as a sports fan, you just see these people in this light and you expect some form of good things to come from them. And I'm saying for some people, it's good things only. Now you have famous athletes or former athletes and Charles Barkley, who he had an incident where a fan kept on basically antagonizing him. And if I'm not mistaken, the fan got a little too close and may have either touched him or said some derogatory statement and if if I remember the story correctly and it happened here in Florida in Orlando through a patron of a local bar through a window and everybody called him crazy and of course you know he got in trouble and he people was like you're a role model and he was just like basically I'm not a role model raise your own effing kids right so it's just like I'm I'm a man at the end of the day or I'm a human being or I am a person so treat me just like you treat your neighbor treat me how you treat the person across the street don't put me on this pedestal I did not ask for it now you have other people who saying no you're an athlete or you're an entertainer or you're a professional I don't know singer you're a politician that comes with the territory Cameras will be on you a little more than other people. People will watch your tweets or your posts more than they watch the the next person's because of the sense of natural influence you have because of your body of work. Now, is that fair or reasonable? Probably not, but 
what Joe Smo down the road does is way different than what LeBron James does or what Michael Jordan does or what Jay-Z does or Beyonce does or Brad Pitt does just because their platform is very, very different. And that's why entertainers in a sense get treated differently when it comes to certain other situations. Like you go to your neighborhood, that person who got arrested for domestic violence is likely still in jail right now. But that entertainer who we saw with domestic violence is likely free and just have to pay a nice fine and do some community service hours and say he's going to a class or two. I, I wouldn't necessarily say I agree with it, but I understand it. I would say that. Now I'm about to contradict my own self and say, I get what why they do that. And I'll say it's because people see athletes and a lot of these entertainers as the American dream. You hear these stories about these young guys who came from nothing and now they made it out of the slums or ghettos of wherever and now they are making all these millions of dollars. Look at how their athleticism has brought them such a mighty long way. And so for these, especially maybe young guys who are in some tough situations and places, they're like, wow, look at this guy came from my neighborhood or our neighborhood like mine. And now they are out there on TVs across the world doing a sport that they love, playing a game and make millions of dollars. And this gives me hope of something that I can do or I can be, or if I can't do that, maybe this gives me an escape out of the hell that I'm in to have this moment of entertainment or fun or enjoy a sport or something that I love. I think that's how, you know, how they get on that pedestal because people see that starting from the bottom, now they're all the way up there. That's a fair point as well. But I think even that American dream and idealism is Mm -hmm. a false narrative because most most of these athletes who make it pro are from affluent communities. These kids aren't coming from the hood. They have had private teachers and trainers and they're doing all right. Nobody wants that story. Nobody's interested in that story. Of course they're not going to push that story. Of course not. Basketball and football are only a small fraction of the pro sports world, but it dominates a major part of the conversation. But when you look at like all of the sports, you talk about like golf and lacrosse and tennis and swimming and but that is a narrative when you go to Mm -hmm. these low-income communities they're pushing this story which actually is harmful to them you know because if they could see the statistics of it they'd be like oh snap like the it's such a small I mean those stories are success stories because it's such a small percentage of people from those communities who actually make it. Yeah, people do start to get some type of sense of entitlement to other people, which is weird to me. They start thinking they own you and what you do and how you do what you do. And you are representing my teams. I get a say and and I paid my little, I mean, sometimes it ain't a little bit of money to go to these games. Sometimes it's a whole lot of money, but they start thinking they're entitled to a little more than they really are. Mm, And I wish we had just like hours to talk about this Mm -hmm. because I think about even the way that athletes are treated by like these Mm -hmm. billionaires who essentially own like their talent. And then Mm -hmm. I think about like the football players who were getting injured and how the NFL really didn't want to take ownership. And they were so hesitant to change policy to protect the players, things like that. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, is it really just about the money? And they see these players as people that pawns that they can just bring in and out. Like Evie, as somebody who's been a sports fan for a long time and seen players get traded, 
et cetera. Have you ever kind of felt like you needed to have a sense of like compassion, like players aren't treated well or? Yeah, so definitely there's nuances to everything, right? Like right. you can put me in a room and I can find a way to play devil's advocate to just about every conversation <laughs> as it, as long I as it. it doesn't compromise my faith and my beliefs in the kingdom, I won't play that type of game. Like I won't tell that line unless Mm -hmm. it's just me like having a conversation of seeing where someone is at to get them to dig a little more deeper or to be a critical thinker. So you think of an owner, right? Their goal or most owners um, from what I know is to maximize profits. And if that's maximizing profits from a player in one year or in five years or in 10 years, I'm going to do everything I can to get the best out of that person. And that person becomes a product of mine, becomes a commodity. And so you see sometimes where Owners do everything they can to appease their players and give them the world, whether it's via contracts or incentives or conversation or bringing even other athletes onto their team so they can play with their actual peers. But then in that turn, when a player says, I don't want to be in this system anymore and I want to go play somewhere else, like they get chastised and they get Mm -hmm. criticized for going somewhere else. I just imagine, and for some like, well, that's the way it is. Like, just imagine your supervisor or your manager or the owner of your business that you work for a company whatever gets mad at you because you see an opportunity better somewhere else like that makes no sense for them to be upset if anything if you're really an owner if you're there to lead and influence and uplift me you should be happy that i feel that i found something else unless you know without a doubt that that thing is going to be malicious to me. The other thing is, as you mentioned, just at least the NFL in cases of finding ways to fight hard to make the game more safer and CTEs and the lawsuits and Mm -hmm. the damage that we've seen that caused to athletes. It's one of those things that I always, and I won't say I joke around about because I know it's a serious issue, but I do look at athletes who I know and say, they know what they're signing up for. Now, granted, a kid who's seven, eight years old, who's getting encouraged or forced or influenced by their parents to play a game has no idea. But at that level, most of them know the damages or the impacts of going day in and day out as a professional athlete. And for some of them, as Sharika talked about, that's the story or that's the dream that they've always looked up to. So it's like, I have no other choice but to do what I have to do to make ends meet, to help my family, to try to break some form of intergenerational poverty. And though that is a small glimpse of the success story, but that small glimpse, I guess, overshadows a lot of other stories of the, hey, you won't make it. Like, I know in high school, what got me not to play basketball anymore was having a conversation with my cousin. And he was just like, hey, do you think you're better than so-and-so? And he named one of my older brothers. Hey, do you think you're better than so-and-so? He named one of my older cousins. And both of those, I said no. Then he was just like, well, stop playing. Like, you know you're not going to make it to the league. Like, it's yeah. not going to, like, if your goal is to make it to the league, it's not going to happen. And he was just like, you're already the smartest one in our family. And it's not like to chew my own horn, but he was like, just focus on making A's and B's, get you a college degree, get a good job, mm. like make us proud. So the rest of the family who comes after you can see you and say, well, at least I can go to college. For so mm. me to be one of 13 kids and be the first one with a college degree was like a bigger accomplishment than if I would have oh. made it to the league without yeah. one. So it's, it's just, those, it's tough. Of course, some athletes do know that and other athletes are not, I guess, well-versed or knowledgeable of all of the impacts of what their, I guess, leadership or their owners is doing to them. I remember several years ago, similar to the Colin Cap situation, where if I'm not mistaken, Houston Texans, and for listeners, if I'm wrong, correct me. But one, I'll say this, I won't even say Houston Texans because I might be wrong. An NFL owner came out of his mouth and said, them playing on the field is just like inmates in the yard. That's the way an owner referred to his 
players. And like, for me, it's like, if I'm an athlete, it's no way, like in my mind, I would say, it's no way I can play for this owner. But if I can't find a job anywhere else, I have to do what I have to do for some people. Now me, I would be like, I'm out. Like if I can't make another team, then I have to find another job and I'm cashing out my money and I'm finding some form of residual business um, to gain some form of income. Wow. Uh, I'm stunned by what that owner said. And I'm sure a lot of his players did decide to continue playing for him. At the beginning of what you shared with us, you talked about how when you're playing for them, you are like essentially their product. And just like all of us with our job, there are certain rules and regulations about things we can post on social media or the way we dress when we come to work. It comes back to the top of our conversation. Then do they have a right to use that as a platform of protest? If they're at work and they're supposed to be representing their company in a certain way, with that in mind, what do we say to that? If we're, you know, we're going to talk about playing devil's advocate. I would say when people don't agree with what's going on, they have the right to stand up and speak out against it. They do have that right. Sometimes it will cost Mm. them their job. Sometimes it may be the catalyst that brings about the change that is needed on their job. Going into it, they have to be ready and prepared for whatever may happen. But you always have the right to stand up for what you believe is right. If it's worth it to you enough, you know, that risk. And when people protest, it's not in a comfortable way that makes the employer feel like, wow, look at my people standing up (laughs) against me and telling me that what I'm doing is trash. I love the way they're doing that. You know, nobody feels that way. Everyone's like, this is uncomfortable. This is pissing me off. This is making me upset. Just because you are employed by somebody doesn't mean you have to take whatever treatment they decide to dole out on you. I agree with you. Totally shriek on that. Shout out to Evie for bringing some of the things to our attention because Bob McNair, he's never invited to the kickback. That's all I have to say. Y'all Google him on your own time. We need <laughs> to have a part two of the sports conversation Listen, because we I'm do. not in the office and have a book, Sports and American Society, and they dive into this conversation and there's just so much I want to say yes. uh, that we just don't have the time today, unfortunately. We Next know. week. Listen. Listen, we can do a y'all. part two. And then in the, in the part two, we can talk about The Last Dance, which Evie suggested. I was just getting ready to Sharika say. finally watch, and it was so <laughs> I love The Last Dance. If you have not seen The Last Dance, start watching now. Like I said, I'm not that into sports. My mom and my brother were like, you're watching The Last Dance? My mom was like, no, you're really watching, watching the, like, you into this. I said, I am fully invested because it is so interesting. I was like bragging on and on just about how I was so amazed at what Michael Jordan did as he became like the greatest player of all time. And my husband was teasing me. He's like, it's almost as if it was like a job. And he worked at it every day. I was like, I can't stay. But it is. It really, really it is. is. So let's dive so into this again so next yes. Of course, to close out, like sure you said, watch The Last Dance. We'll dive more into protesting and what that looks like a little more. And we'll talk about The Last Dance, of course, next week. Also, I know this Thursday, many of you have just seen football is back and tomorrow, mm-hmm. or if you listen on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, whenever. But football is back. For those of you who listen on Saturday, tomorrow, pick your go ahead and pick your teams. You can post them on social media. You can comment yeah. on our on our social media platforms. You can tell us who you like, who you don't like, who you care for, who you don't care for. You can do whatever you want. But mm-hmm. I'm just going to go ahead and make this because I know it's going to be public and I'm not going to be able to run from my words. <laughs> I have in the Super Bowl in 2021, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Really? The New England Patriots. 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Super Bowl is already in Tampa, so that's one reason why I'm mm-hmm. picking them. You're not mm-hmm. going to let somebody else come to your hometown and play in the biggest game of the but season in your stadium. We've definitely, well, we we've now definitely, got Gronkowski and we got, um, what's your boy? Tom um, Brady. You can't I Brady. Know, that I know, but the pressure, I feel like the pressure is just going to, I don't know. I'm sorry, Edie. You no, you're good. Saying, so you're any saying. other team, if you like your teams, you can comment on any of our posts, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, or on Facebook. Let us know who you're rooting for this season. We support all teams for the most part, <laughs> except for the, the except Bob McNair Cowboys. Team. You, we, we don't support you. Why? They have cute outfits. That's what I'd be on. I'd be on Super Bowl, who got the best colors, yes. and that's when I'd be 100% in it to win it. I do want to say this one thing, a me- not even a meme, a fact that I saw recently, y'all may have heard about the fire in California, and we're talking oh, about yeah. protests. A single gender reveal party in California has caused more property damage than all the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests combined. So... All that is for me, for future people who plan on having kids, as God bless you with those, if you have a gender reveal and you want to use some form of, I think it was like pyro, whatever, the lights, you know, the lights and the smoke and all that good stuff. Just make sure you're not in a state with a whole bunch of dryness like California or make sure you're adequately prepared or you got fire department on standby because those people are likely to face charges which is Mm. definitely not anything good about that Mm -mm. they should Um, get the same energy that all the peaceful (laughs) protests and that's why I said that because once again we're talking about more damage being caused by them and people want to have think pieces and all this about the people protesting just literally saying hey these people's lives matter guess what the gender reveal <laughs> burned everything down. If y'all don't come for those people the same way, then I, I'm not here for you. And I'm you're never invited. I, I'm, I'm going to say this just because I know I know we got all types of listeners from all walks of life, from all types of countries as well. Mm-hmm. I want to know the people who did it because they might be my peoples. And if they my peoples, <laughs> I don't want them to get that energy. I don't want them to get that smoke. <laughs> we could talk to Literally, them about... We could talk. Yeah, that smoke. <laughs> We could talk to them, we could talk to them in private about their negligence. <laughs> nah, but we're gonna dive into um, back in the day, and I think we got something good today. Yes, we did. Y'all, back in the day, all I have to say is athletes been protesting. This is nothing mm-hmm. new. I'm gonna talk about an iconic image. I remember seeing this image in elementary school, not really knowing what it meant. I just thought they looked cool, but most of us have seen this image of two African American athletes raising their fists on the Olympic podium during the playing of the Star Spangled Banner. The photograph taken after the 200 meter race at the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City. Side note, do y'all be watching the Summer Olympics? Okay, that's a no for Sharika. No, I definitely watch it. I watch it every year. Or every four years. Every yeah, four every years. four years. I like so to this watch year, the winter we were supposed to have This year, we were supposed to have it, but because of the pandemic, it got postponed to next year. And mm-hmm. this is interesting for those of you who are waiting for it um, to watch the leaders of the Olympic Games Committee say, no matter where we're at with this pandemic, the Olympics will happen next year. Oh, and they did say they, they don't care that? if it's worse. Yeah, you can wow. look it up. Shout out to the Google. The Google never helped. Wow. Never and that's the impact sports have on society. They, they said, said like or y'all gonna run else. this track. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, we can dive.
dive into the next week. So these African-American track and field stars, Tommy Smith, who won the gold medal, and John Carlos, who won the bronze, were made the center of a rolling controversy over their race, fist salute, a symbol of black power, and the human rights movements at large. Smith told Smithsonian Magazine in 2008, we had to be seen because we couldn't be heard. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I but, okay. that to if my you, very core. Exactly. But if you look in the photo, you'll see another man as well, silver medalist Peter Norman, a white Australian runner. Norman didn't raise his fist that day, but he stood with Smith and Carlos, though his show of solidarity ended up destroying his career. Mm-hmm. The three athletes' actions that day would be just one in a line of protest across the athletic stage. I mean, think about it. And we just saw it, right? Think about what happened in Colin Kaepernick. The fact that if you say Black Lives Matter, we're not talking about the organization, but just that sentiment, how your whole career can be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Just for saying that people's lives matter. Anyways, African-Americans like Smith and Carlos were frustrated by what they saw as the passive nature of the civil rights movement. This is something I did not know. When they did that, it was only months after the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And protests against the Vietnam War were gaining steam as well. And the lead up to the Olympics, Smith and Carlos helped organize the Olympic Project for Human Rights, a group that reflected their Black pride and social consciousness. The group saw the Olympic Games as like this opportunity to agitate for better treatment of Black athletes and Black people around the world. It demanded Mm. things like hiring more Black coaches, which we're still asking for today, and rescinding Olympic invitations to places like South Africa, which still participated in the apartheid. The project initially proposed a boycott of the Olympics altogether, but Smith and Carlos eventually decided to compete in hopes that they could use their achievements as a platform for broader change. Then, 10 days before the opening, an unarmed group of protesters assembled in Mexico cities to plan the next move. The Mexican government sent in bulldozers, you guys, mm. to disperse the thousands gathered and troops fired into the crowd, killing between four and 3,000 students. Have y'all ever um, heard of this? No, I haven't. I hadn't either. So Carlos and Smith, They are still in touch today, and they've been publicly supportive of other protesting athletes, including NFL's Colin Kaepernick, with Carlos saying, what I did was right 48 years ago, and 48 Mm. years later, it has proven to be right. I don't even know if I would have been able to participate in the games with all that going on. The other man on the podium, the man who won the silver medal, he was from Melbourne, Australia, and his family were devout members of the Salvation Army, which is an evangelical group connected with the charitable group that's known better in America. Part of that faith was belief that all men were equal. At the time, Australia was also experiencing racial tensions of its own. Like for years, it had been governed by its white Australia policy, which this floored me because I hadn't heard of this. While the Australian Mm. government welcomed new residents from predominantly white areas, it regularly turned down non-European immigrants. Sound familiar, you guys? In 1966, the government made the first steps In 1966, the first steps toward abolishing the policy, but its effects were like reverberating throughout Australia. So Norman went into this thinking, I'm going to support 
my fellow Olympians protest in part because of the intolerance I had to witness in my own country. So as mm. the athletes waited to go to the podium, Carlos and Smith told Norman that they plan to use their win as an opportunity to protest. And Smith and Carlos decided to appear on the podium bearing symbols of protest and strength. Black socked feet without shoes, which I never noticed this part, but they did that mm. to bring attention to black poverty, beads to protest the lynchings, and the race black glove fist to represent solidarity and support with black and oppressed people around the world. Norman also asked how he could support them and they suggested he wear the badge for the Olympic project for human rights. He made his stance clear and as they raised their fists the stadium hushed and then it burst not into applause but into racist sneers and angry incels and we don't see this from the picture right so mm. they did this and then people start yelling at them and then smith and carlos are like rushed out of the stadium and they were suspended by the u.s team kicked out of the olympic village for turning their medal ceremony into a political statement and they went home to the u.s only to face serious backlash and even death threats mm. for saying hey we want equality. So eventually Carlos and Smith were both like gradually re-accepted re into the Olympic fold and went on to careers in professional football before retiring. Norman though was published severely by the Australian sports establishment, even though he qualified for the Olympic team over and over and he posted the fastest times by far in Australia. He was snubbed by the team in 1972. And rather than allowing him to compete, Australia just said, we're just not gonna send a runner, you guys. Mm -hmm. He immediately We'd rather be racist than win. Right. Well, we rather you not speak out about it. He immediately mm -hmm. retired from the sport and began to suffer from depression, alcoholism, and painkiller addiction. During that time, he just used his silver medal as like a doorstop. Even when the Olympics came to Sydney in 2000, he was not recognized in 2000. When he died in 2006, Carlos and Smith, who had kept in touch with him over the years, they were pallbearers at his funeral. It mm. took until 2012 for the Australian government to apologize for the treatment Norman received in his home country. That even though it cost him his career and much of his happiness, Norman says he would have done it over again. I won the silver medal, he told the New York Times in 2000, but really I ended up running the fastest race of my life to become a part of something that transcended the games. Mm. That's powerful. Wow. It's just like one of those things of like, we all, again, we all have a voice and it's mm -hmm. the way that we choose to use our platform. And I think one of the, the biggest takeaways um, from that story or any other story is not everybody will respond to you in the same way. Like it's heartbreaking that a person is fighting for equality and basically get dismissed or disbarred from not only just a sport, but basically your own country could care less about you as an individual, as another human being. Forget about him being an athlete, forget about him advocating for what he feels is important or right, but where they diminish you as an individual, where you won't be able to live the life that you know, and you dive into all these other areas of depression and grief and like alcoholism and those type of things. Like that's what happened to him. And just imagine how many other people who are not as, I guess you say, famous or popular or who aren't Olympic gold medalists, they have situations in their life. That's what drives them to those moments of depression or grief or any other thing because of feeling so isolated from mankind. And it's just mind boggling that it's people, again, people who consider themselves to be believers are people who treat these people 
in that same way. You expounded on that in a beautiful way. Thank you for that, EB. What else are you expounding on today? So of course, just come from that heavy moment and then it's just like, this one is not as, I'm not saying they're not as heavy, but it's definitely something similar. Um, as we're talking about athletes, as we're talking about protests, as we're talking about the impact that people can make or the impact that people have made. Hopefully, you might be able to guess it, but if not, just, I guess, stay along and you'll figure it out towards the end. A little before 8 a.m. on April 28, 1967, an individual arrived at the Armed Forces Induction Center in Houston, Texas. Shout out to H-Town. A war was raging. American soldiers were dying by the hundreds. Protesters were burning draft cards. Now protesters are burning other things. And thorough objectors were fleeing to Canada. Sounds very familiar to our times mm. today. An individual had no intention of fleeing to Canada. He had no intention of burning his draft card, but he also had no in intention on serving in the military. His words, my conscience won't let me go shoot my brother or some darker people or some poor hungry people in the mud for big powerful America and shoot them for what? They never called me the N word. They never lynched me. They didn't put dogs on me. They didn't rob me of my nationality, rape and kill my mother and father. Shoot them for what? How can I shoot them poor people? Just take me to jail. Instead, mm. the heavyweight champion, Muhammad Ali, emerged from mm -hmm. a crowd in a metallic blue silk suit. As reporters surrounded him, Ali was, of course, people who know him, a magnificent person, an amazing athlete, a great boxer. He was a walking quote machine, often speaking in rhyme and famously antagonizing his opponents with eerily precise predictions of round in which he would eventually defeat them. Now he connects with other people and he has one of the most famous sportscasters in front of his face with a microphone before Ali asking him, your actions will be registered in two hours. Are you sure you do not want to serve in the military? And all he said was, he smiled, looked at him, pat him on the back and said, no comment. Mm -hmm. As many of us know, Muhammad Ali, I, I would say he avoided the draft or he was a draft dodger. But in his case, it wasn't just about the Vietnam War. It wasn't just about, in a sense, shooting or killing people, but he opposed all wars. He felt like it was no reason to, in a sense, inflict violence upon other people. Now, though, he inflicted some pain upon people when he was in the ring, sure but that was part of his sport. <laughs> But that was, as I would say, a friendly gesture as he engaged in sports. So I would say I encourage people to think about the things that you're willing to stand up for. Think about the consequences that comes with the things that you stand up for. Mm. It's easy to post about something. It's easy to text a friend about something, easy to tweet something out. But if laws were to be changed or if something were to have some form of repercussions or consequences for your actions, would you still stand on that side of history? And I would hope that all of you who are listening would make sure you stand on the right side of history, despite the consequences or the objections from the masses. It was always interesting to me to hear about athletes protesting because you have people like Muhammad Ali, you have Jim Brown, a fam another famous football player, you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a famous basketball player, countless others that we can go on and on naming. But to see that they kind of like threw their profession to the side and said, my focus is on people. And, and for some of them, they weren't devout Christians. They had some form of faith or beliefs or values, but like their focus was on the well-being of people. And I just wonder what our world would be like, not just this country, not just my city, not 
not just my state, but what would our mm-hmm. world be like if more people dove into that same place, having a sense of compassion for yeah. other people? A beautiful place, a beautiful thing. Amen. And another man whose legacy has just made such a strong impact. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So as always, we have a time of what we recommend for you, the people. And I know some of you are like, ah, oh, they should have said this or they should have said that. We would love to know your thoughts on our social media. So for this week, we recommend Sharika, Sabrina, what do you guys have for the people? For me, I jumped the gun a little earlier and told y'all one of my recommendations, and that was The Last Dance. I was so excited to really be able to watch that. So I'm, I want you guys to have that same experience. There's a lot of great things that you can learn from that, not just about basketball, but just for me, about perseverance and, and so many other lessons. So lock into The Last Dance. That's one. And number two, a cute, cute thing I wanted to tell y'all about is called Bookmarks on Netflix. It is celebrity readers sharing books by Black authors to spark kid-friendly conversations about empathy, equality, self-love, and anti-racism. I don't know how I seem to relate everything back to Kev on stage, but Kev on stage's sister-in-law, Melanie, actually wrote one of the books that Marce Martin reads. So I'm recommending bookmarks. All right. In the spirit of sport, I am suggesting mountain bike riding using map my ride. It's an app. Mountain biking is something I accidentally strolled into early on dating my husband. So I grew up doing like leisurely rides around the neighborhood with my family or friends, sometimes to like the local park around the lake. So when Dad suggested like bike riding as a date, I was totally game, but also very confused when I showed up and we were in the woods, I'm on rocks and dirt trails <laughs> that we got to after a two mile trek over sand. I just like grinned and bared it though because I told him I love biking, but I had no clue what this was or why people were doing this and my cats hurt and I had to use bathroom. It was a rough introduction to an activity that's actually pretty dope. It's great fitness workout and it has differing like levels of challenge. So they kind of like skiing where you can have like a blue trail or a green trail and the black diamonds, which I've never gone on, but you can easily social distance and enjoy nature using Map My Ride which is the best mobile ride tracking experience and is backed by the world's largest digital health and fitness community. It tracks everything. And the cool thing is I like to use it for biking, but you can log any kind of workout using just your phone and this app. You can also get social and find support and motivation from other bikers or runners or swimmers. And it has like a training portion to it. You have to pay for most of the training plans that aren't like just your basic thing, but it analyzes the data that you put in and then it makes like personalized training plans free. So I recommend getting on your bike and trying out some mountain biking. And I know what you're thinking, you live in Florida. How do you do that? You don't have to have mountains to do mountain biking. It's like these little tiny trails in the woods, maybe that are like a foot wide. And they're just like dirt paths over like hills and rocks and in between trees and that kind of a thing. It's it's more fun than I'm making it sound. How about that? So get into that using Map My Ride. Evie, what you got? All right, we've been talking about social justice. We've been talking about reading. We've been talking about protesting. You might've heard the term overrated. This person is overrated. That person is overrated. But one of the most currently renowned athletes or basketball players is 
Steph Curry. Mm. Steph Curry has just started up a book club, and his book club is entitled Underrated. And each month, he'll be bringing forth stories of people who have defied the odds to become more than what others thought they were destined to be. In addition, he seeks to identify and spotlight authors with incredible talent but few opportunities. Through this lens, Underrated is composed of powerful stories that range from faith and family to sports and social justice. The goal within this book club is to highlight women, people of color, and young people as they engage different, I guess, spaces or transcends um, places because of, again, his platform that he has and putting a spotlight on other authors to be able to focus on engaging or learning from other people. So for those of you who are avid readers, or maybe you're like me and you like listening to audiobooks, you can lock into his book club and enjoy it. Enjoy it. Exciting. Oh, <laughs> I forgot to tell them I did try that other chicken sandwich. No, yes. people want to know. We Listen, need to know about this chicken sandwich. It was edible unlike the first one it was edible listen come on now we all knew you're going against actual chicken places but this the one that she told me to get which i forgot the name so you can see how memorable it was but it was edible and it was a lot better than that first that basic one never do that you guys don't do that oh don't God. waste your time all the good food in the world don't waste your time getting their basic chicken sandwich but whatever the other one was uh, asiago asiago thank you sharika that one it was definitely edible and if i had to have a chicken sandwich from wendy's i could eat that and i wouldn't be like this is gross so Here speaking of chicken sandwiches let me just say this last night i was talking to my family and we we're talking about fast food and i was talking about how i like the mcchicken sandwich sharika just it is trash no. Okay. no, 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 do not listen to her. We are not no, recommending that. So as you say that, you, my brother would 100%. He said to me, have you ever broken it open and looked inside? I said, for what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he, said, exactly. he said, you see blue, green, red. <laughs> e Evie, have you had the McChicken? Of course. Back in the day, I used to eat it a lot. Now that I have money, I never eat it again. <laughs> When it was on the dollar menu, I my brother told me that is garbage. I'm like, EB, we work too hard to eat like that. Yeah, I would never eat that again. Oh man! All right, thanks. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> EB, you want to sign us off? Thanks for listening to the kickback. If you're down with the squad, make sure you subscribe to the pod and share it with your people. And if life try to knock you down, just make sure you kick back. Until next week. Yeah.